This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. What we're talking about here is the the physical, uh, the organic, you know, the, the biological aspects of this problem. And you might, and this is good, this is a, coming at a good time because recall the last couple weeks we were, we were looking at the world's perspective on PTSD and not just PTSD but all, all kinds of disorders that they, you know, so-called disorders and some of them are, are legitimate uh, but there's a bunch of them as we saw which aren't so legitimate. And uh, so we really, uh, I mean, in, in my mind, that material that we covered in the last couple weeks, you know, very interesting, kind of eye-opening um, as we saw the approach of our world, you know, the, the world's approach, secular psychiatry's approach to things and how uh, far off base they are. And yet at the same time, perhaps tonight's lesson will help balance us out a little bit you know, because, and, and we want to we be fair and balanced. We want to be balanced. So this is good. This is coming at a good time. Because, again, last week, as we consider, last couple <laughs> weeks, the, the secular folks and their disease model, right, for classifying and treating mental disorders, you know, they blame everything on biology. Uh, they don't recognize sin. Okay? They, uh, it's, it's all, it's a disease. And we, we've said, and it's a, you know, if you, if you steal stuff from the store, you're not a thief. You have kleptomania. You have a disorder. Okay, you can't help it. Uh, you know, if you have a drinking problem, you're not a drunkard. You know, you have uh, alcohol abuse disorder. It's, you can't help it. It's a disease. You know, you have an illness. You were born that way. So that's, that's the world's approach. We know that that's unbiblical. And so we consider all that, and it's kind of easy to totally... Um, kind of go so far in the opposite direction that we fail to realize that there are physiological components to these issues, the, including PTSD. And so that's what we're going to be looking at tonight. I hope that makes sense. And uh, so let's, let's take a look up top. Um, so many in secular psychiatry and the mental health professions Okay, they've adopted this disease model. I just talked about this, so maybe I can skip down here a little bit. Uh, they believe that uh, all these di- different disorders, hundreds and hundreds of them that they identify, uh, they believe they're purely biological in nature. And we concluded, I think you guys realized, and you already, a lot of it you already knew, but we, uh, based on what we look, le- looked at the last couple weeks, this, this disease model, obviously inadequate uh, to explain and treat most of the disorders that they identify. And really, it's, it's sad. You know, they really don't hold out any hope uh, for those who come for treatment. The only answers they can offer are, you know, psychotherapy, just, you know, talk to the, the psychiatrist. You know, some you know, medication, psychiatric, psychiatric drugs, there's a whole host of them that sometimes can, you know, quell symptoms, but really don't solve the underlying problems. The heart issues are never addressed. And there's never really hope held out for a, you know, full recovery. 
And so very sad. Um, let's move on to the second paragraph. While we believe that many of the disorders identified by secular psychiatry are better classified as spiritual problems, all of them have physiological components, including PTSD. Remember, God made us, he made us both material, right? We have bodies, we have physical bodies, as well as immaterial. We have a spirit, mind, heart, and we're not going to get into the whole dichotomous, trichotomous debate. We're just keeping it simple here tonight. Um, of course, the relationship between these two elements, the material and the immaterial, is very complex. Uh, as you know, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. And uh, nobody, you know, we, we still don't obviously fully understand how, you know, the brain works. And, uh, I mean, we understand a little bit of it, but uh, the best scientists in the world, you know, don't understand how everything all works and uh, the interplay between our, our spirit, you know, our mind and our bodies. It's just so, so complex. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. By God's design, the body mediates what the heart initiates. Uh, so in our, and I'm using the word heart there in the biblical sense as the kind of the inner seat of man's, the, the immaterial essence of man. So you could use the word heart, you could maybe use the word mind, you know, spirit. The essence of our immaterial nature. The body carries out, it follows the orders given to it by the heart. And God made it this way. God made the body to be a servant to the heart. And you see the little asterisks there? Um, and you'll see several throughout this set of notes. I am taking material, I'm borrowing some material from... Dr. Jim Berg. Anybody know who Dr. Jim Berg is? Okay. I'm sorry? Just from your lessons. Yeah, great. He's a longtime dean of students at Bob Jones University and uh, still on the seminary faculty down there. And, uh, you know, he's, he's the go-to guy, in my opinion, as far as biblical counseling and uh, certainly this kind of stuff that we're talking about tonight. So I'm, I'm quoting him. Uh, or citing him extensively, and uh, you see that little note at the bottom of the at the bottom of page three. But anyway, so anytime you see an asterisk, that's coming from Dr. Jim Berg. So you can, you know, if you don't trust what I'm saying, at least you can give give weight to uh, what Dr. Berg says. But uh, anyway, so let's let's talk about this tonight. And uh, again, stop me anytime if you have questions, if something is confusing. Um, because we are gonna we're gonna try to push through, but if you if, if things aren't making sense, um, please please stop me. Yell out, just uh, interrupt us. So by God's design, the heart uses the body and specifically the brain, you know the the organ, you know that we call the brain, to process information and find solutions to problems. However, trouble results. When the heart places improper demands on the body, uh, or, you know, the brain, or when it, referring to the heart, fails to respond properly to the stressors of life. Let's talk about the autonomic nervous system. We alluded to this briefly in a previous class. Um, 
This is responsible for bodily functions that are not consciously directed. So just automatic stuff, you know, like breathing and perspiration, digestive functions. So this uh, part of our nervous system, it triggers through the release of hormones uh, a fight or flight response to dangerous circumstances. And we've all heard about this. This is kind of, this is kind of basic science in a sense. You know, we've all heard about this. And so when we encounter these dangerous circumstances, it could be, um, you know, you're driving down the road and all of a sudden a, a car in the oncoming, you know, the opposite lane kind of swerves and it's coming right at you. Or it could even be, you know, when you're, you're jogging, you know, through the woods and, you know, all of a sudden you look down and you're about to snap on a big coiled up uh, rattlesnake or something. You, you know, you know what happens. Or, or it could be situation, you know, much more serious than even that. But uh, we've all been there. Our bodies go into emergency mode uh, when the mind concludes that a threat is present Stress hormones are released, increasing the heart rate, increasing blood pressure, increasing the breathing rate. Muscles become tense, the pupils dilate, and the body is now in emergency mode, ready for action, on high alert. This system, obviously, was created by God for our protection. Okay, that's... Uh, easy enough to understand. However, if the body remains in emergency mode continually, individuals will feel jumpy and various health problems can arise. And this is, uh, and we're starting to talk here about maybe one particular strain of PTSD, if you want to call it that. As I think about, you know, everything that I've read on PTSD, uh, and just from talking to folks and in the classes that I've taken and even just per my own personal experience, um, in my mind, you can almost uh, break PTSD into a few different strains, you know. Uh, what, and, and this is maybe one of them that we're going to begin to talk about here. Because we hear, you know, we hear about uh, whether it's first responders um, or folks in the military who've been in these high-stress kind of situations and they almost have a little bit of trouble, you know, adapting uh, when the, the stress is over. Um, although, and we're going we're gonna to come back to this here in just a minute, if you think about it, even if you're in the military, you know, most of us were not in these kind of high-stress situations where this fight-or-flight response would be triggered. It's not that often. You know, even folks that are serving in Iraq or Afghanistan, uh, in the Marine Corps or the Army or whatever, you know, they, they get breaks. Um, so it's not like this has to be something that's continuous. You know, they, you got on patrol and uh, you come back to the FOB for, you know, a few days or a few weeks. Um, and so as we're going to be talking about here in just a minute, in probably the vast majority of, of cases, do you want to guess what is it that's, you know, where folks have trouble because they're kind of keeping themselves in this 
highly aroused kind of emergency state, it's not so much that they're constantly in danger. Instead, what do you think it is? I'll take a guess. Did I? Yeah, it's their it's their mind. It's it's worry. It's it's fear. It's it's uh, you know it's anxiety. Uh, you're exactly right. In, in probably you know the vast majority of cases, if you just think about it, most folks again, even those who are in combat, even police officers, you know, it's not all the time that folks are in this state. Um, although, again, you know, I think back to what we said about you know, how the stress on the home front can sometimes be worse than stress on the battlefront. And I can almost picture, um, Judy's laughing because she said that uh, when her and Bob came in here for uh, the first time a couple weeks ago, they joined the class late. She said that uh, they were taking the class because, you know, Bob has PTSD just as a result of living with her. But, uh, <laughs> Anyway, that's what she said, and she said it publicly, so I don't, I don't feel guilty about repeating it. She said it out loud. But, uh, you know, that, anyway, I think you understand what I'm saying. Yes, yes, ma'am. No, go ahead. People that sign up to be policemen and firemen, aren't they trained? Isn't that part of their training to face a difficult situation that's going to end? You know, the fire's going to go out, and then back off. Yeah, in a sense, but uh, I, I think in a sense, but uh, I don't know that there's any way you can really train for some of the, sure. from a, what, some of what they see, or, you know, when I was in Iraq, you know, um, you can't really train, you know, but, but folks adapt, and uh, I was talking to a gentleman, you know, um, uh, a week or two ago, whose son is a policeman, and uh, he's in dangerous situations, you know, fairly regularly, whether it's once a week or once a month, or probably not once a week, but, uh, you know, once a month or once every few months. And so folks adapt, and uh, what Brother Gene said, and that, that's, we're going to keep coming back to that, you know, it's how we interpret and evaluate our circumstances, our, our trust in God. But, but certainly, you know, there's stuff in life that's stressful. But, yeah, this uh, particular police officer, you know, he's grown accustomed to it. And uh, for him, um, his, and I think I can say this, this was Ron Smith, our missionary, AFBM missionary, who was here a week ago. And he shared with me how he went on a ride-along with his son, who's a policeman out there in either Arizona or California. Texas. Texas, and this was the first time that uh, um, Ron had done this kind of uh, ride-along, and on this particular day, a guy ran up to the window and pointed a gun right in his son's face, his son, the police officer, and Ron, you know, that they came home after work that evening, and Ron was kind of still a little bit, you know, jittery from the whole experience, and uh, sitting on the couch, he looks over at his son, is sound asleep on the... And he said, hey, wait, how can you sleep after that? And he's like, no big deal, Dad. You know, I, you know, this is what I do. So we all, you know, we all respond to stress differently. Uh, but anyway, did I answer the question? Or? Okay. All right, we're, we're going to, we'll, let's, let's keep going, and then we'll, we'll pause again.
Um, all right, I think we're, we're kind of down towards the bottom of page one. I think we said this system was created by God for our protection. However, if the body remains in emergency mode continually, individuals will feel jumpy and various health problems may arise. Now, note this. Certain people become addicted to this type of heightened chemical stimulation. And I'm not, when I say that, I'm not, I'm not saying that they like, they like it. And they're, although some of them do. Some of them do, and you hear about these adrenaline junkies, and they want to, you know, they want to keep diving off the cliffs, you know, with that little thing hanging on their ankle. What do you call that? The bungee cord, and they they like doing that kind of stuff. That that's not what I'm talking about when I say addicted, although that would apply to some of these folks. I'm actually talking about real chemical addiction. Um, their bodies have adapted. Because they place themselves in these dangerous situations, these stressful situations more often, and so they're used to this extra adrenaline kind of going through their bloodstream, their body begins to compensate for that. And so they are, they're used to that. And it's not, it's not normal for our bodies to have that much adrenaline going through them. And, and when this does happen, when we do have one of these fight-or-flight you know, moments, um, there are, there's another aspect, I think it's the, the parasympathetic nervous system, you know, calms the body down, brings the body back down to equilibrium, and that's the way God designed it. Um, anyway, where was I going with that? But, uh, sorry, I just blanked out. Uh, forgive me. But anyway, I think I'm down at the bottom of page one. And uh, I apologize. That happens to me fairly often. Uh, my wife is getting a little worried about me these days, and uh, I am too. But uh, anyway, was anybody, what was I talking about? What was I about to say? Oh, yeah, yeah. So these folks, um, they're used to this uh, higher levels of adrenaline in their body, and they, uh, their body is, is trying to compensate. And so anyway, when they um, remove themselves from those kind of situations, you know, they stop. They stop jumping off cliffs for a couple months. Um, or, or they actually almost literally can have withdrawal symptoms. You know, as their body tries to readjust, um, they feel agitated, and it's, it's actually like withdrawal. Uh, same thing with, you know, folks that are giving up nicotine or alcohol. Same kind of bodily response. And so folks can actually become addicted. And then if you look down at the very bottom, okay, so their body's having adapted to higher than normal. I should have just read the notes instead of trying to um, talk off the top of my head here. So their body's having adapted to higher than normal levels of stress hormone production. They become agitated and jumpy when external stimulants, you know, these stressful or exhilarating circumstances are removed. This explains why certain workaholics can't relax on vacation. You know, that takes them the whole week of their vacation just to kind of, you know, get used to not being at work. And uh, this also partly explains the struggles of some who are diagnosed with PTSD. So this is kind of one of the things, perhaps, that's going on when we're talking about PTSD. Um, note uh, two there. When the body is kept in emergency mode continually, an overabundance of these stress hormones, such as adrenaline, cortisol, 
uh, are produced. This can result in increased blood sugar levels, weight gain, bone loss, elevated blood pressure, digestive problems, sleep deprivation, a weakened autoimmune system, all making the body more susceptible to viral and bacterial infections, etc. So there's, you're at health risk. You know, if you're constantly in a state of stress, and we all know this, right? Your doctors told, told you know, well, not, not me yet because I'm such a young guy. But uh, some of you old folks, you know, your doctors, I'm just teasing. Your, your doctors have told you, you know, too much stress, it's not good. And that's, that's they're, they're correct. That's, that's good biology. That's sound. You know, stress hurts our bodies physically. Worry and anger. Okay, we alluded to this. Worry and anger can keep the body in this state of emergency and eventually more serious physical problems. And you have some of them listed there. Extended illnesses, chronic fatigue, thyroid depletion, inflammatory disorders, uh, coronary complications can develop as the body's adaptive resources are depleted. These deteriorating physical conditions tempt the individual to continued worry and frustration. So he's in a spiral. You know, one of the problems that got him in this spot was his worry and his frustration with his circumstances. Um, and now, as he's suffering physically for it, you know, he continues to worry and become agitated and frustrated, angry. And so the spiral continues, placing even greater strain on the body. Number four, it is important to understand that the stress response of the autonomic nervous system does not turn off until it detects that both the body and the mind are at rest. And this is why our relationship with the Lord is so important. And praise God that as Christians, you know, even though we face difficult and trying circumstances, if we keep our heart, our mind focused on the Lord, he can give us peace and grace uh, even in the midst of, of difficult uh, circumstances. We need to know how to handle the stress, the, the stressors of, of life. And we can do that by God's grace. So, um, again, that, this is one of the things uh, that's kind of going on with folks who complain of uh, PTSD type symptoms okay there, there really is a physiological component to it although I'm convinced and maybe you disagree but in the vast majority of cases again I think it goes back to um, how we interpret our circumstances and surely we can face you know very difficult things but um, if we keep our eyes on the Lord, he'll give us grace. And we don't have to be completely overwhelmed by the trials of life. But anyway, I think um, that's what I think what I, this is what I was starting to say, and I don't think I finished. Worry, you know, fear, anger, I really believe that that's what's driving a lot of the problems that, that folks have here. Uh, take a look at the next, the little two there, the two little eyes. I don't know what you call that. Um, this, and this falls under A, going back, we're still talking about the autonomic nervous system. This is kind of interesting to me. This is from Dr. Berg's uh, notes. This system does not distinguish between present, this is going back to the fight or flight response, okay? 
this system does not distinguish between present input received via the senses. Okay, so again, you're, you're driving down the road and you see the car swerve in front of you or whatever, or the, all of a sudden the window breaks in your house and you see the intruder, you know, coming through the window, um, versus past input, traumatic memories. So as a person recalls stressful events or situations, circumstances he experienced in the past, this fight or flight mechanism can re-engage, causing a panic attack, causing those same kind of symptoms where your heart, you know, heart rate elevates. And uh, a lot of folks, when they talk about having a panic attack, this is what they're talking about. I mean, people define panic attack differently. In some folks' mind, that just means kind of like they're just giving up and they're just afraid to handle something and they're just going to hide or just not face it. But uh, when I think of a panic attack, I'm actually thinking about a physical response, uh, like the fight or fight response when your heart actually begins to pound so hard that uh, you, know, you, you can feel it. It's happening. It's real. It's, it's biology. And, uh, and very interesting, I, I'd, like to, I'd like to talk to Dr. Berg, and I'll get a chance here at some point. Um, the class I'm taking with him now is uh, it's all kind of online, and we haven't had our week-long seminar yet. We will in mid-March. So I want to ask him about this, because I'm, I'm wondering where worry, where anxiety here fits in, in terms of the past input. So if we have a, if we just recall something that's happened in the past, I think Kim, didn't Kim Haynes at the last, what was her example? The dog, the dog right? She had an, a bad experience with a dog as a child, and what did she say? Help me remember. Now, when she sees dogs, she kind of gets tense. Yeah. Yeah. And she, what did she say about what happens now, though? Like, does she have, like, a panic attack, or? Well, she sort of got tense, and then she thought about it, and realized it. Yeah. Yeah. This whole thing is very interesting to me. I don't know if anybody else has experienced panic attacks. I'm not asking you to raise your hand. Uh, I have. And uh, let, me, let me, I don't want to take too much time. I don't know, may, maybe this will be helpful. And I've been kind of droning on here, so I should probably just pause and, and uh, maybe share a personal example. And I, I think it's actually helpful maybe not to solve and answer every question, but in my mind it raises more questions. But it helps me think about this whole thing. Um, I've had panic attacks related to public speaking. Um, about 20 years ago, when I was a young officer in the Marine Corps, uh, second lieutenant, I was reading in front of a platoon of Marines. They were all standing at attention, perfectly silent. You, know, you could hear a pin drop. And I was reading this award citation. Actually, this was not one of the Marines that was being awarded now. This was uh, a Marine that got the Medal of Honor on Iwo Jima. And we were just doing this just kind of as motivation, remembering our you know, Marines of the past and so forth. And so I was reading this citation. And uh, as I was reading it, and just the, the seriousness of the moment, uh, 
my heart started to pound a little bit. You've probably been there, you know, in situations like that where you're maybe in a formal, very formal, serious situation, you know, whether it's a job interview and you're a little bit nervous. And uh, I, I wasn't nervous um, going into this at all. I mean, I was excited to read this citation, but, uh, you know, my heart started to pound about halfway through. And then I, I don't know what happened in my mind, but, uh, you know, m maybe that made me a little anxious, like, okay, what's going on here? I need to stop this so I can finish reading. And so that so it got worse, and it started to pound to the extent that I could hardly talk. And uh, I think my saving grace, because, you know, as a Marine officer, you cannot be weak in front of your guys. I mean, that is just like, no way, never, never, ever. Um, I think maybe my saving grace, if anybody noticed that my voice got a little quivery, was that I was reading this awards citation about this Marine who died on Iwo Jima. And so maybe they thought, well, you know, lieutenants just choked up about this. Yeah. So maybe that's what I'm hoping they, they, they thought. But uh, again, I, nothing like that had ever happened to me before. But guess what? Ever since that time, and especially in the weeks and months right after that, any time I stood up to speak, guess what was in the back of my mind? Is that going to happen again? And for a lady, you know, maybe it's not a big deal. Yes, it is. But for a man, and especially, you know, you don't want to show weakness, and especially if you're in the Marine Corps and you're an officer in the Marine Corps, and back then, you know, maybe, and I, we're going to get to... We're going to get to, I'll come back to this in, a, in the last week when we talk about the wisdom of God and his purposes and everything he allows in our lives. But uh, I probably needed to be humbled a little bit. You know, back then I had actually hair on my head and uh, I was lifting weights back then and I probably thought, I, I probably thought, you know, something of myself. And uh, I'll tell you what. This really humbled me. And just having this week, again, I'll, I'll talk more about that. I'll come back to this story. But anyway, let me just say for now that uh, I couldn't get that out of my mind. Um, when I stood up, it's not that I was nervous, you know, going in. You know, it's not like I, I was awake, you know, the night before every, every when I was going to speak. But, uh, you know, when I stood up and I knew I was about to speak, and as I started to speak, you know, just in the back of my mind, Am I going to have one of those episodes again? And guess what? Just the thought, just that thought triggered it all over again. And through the years, again, this first episode was about 20 years ago. Through the years, at various times, I've had probably 20 to 25 panic attacks while public speaking. And uh, in most cases... You know, I kind of stumble through, uh, and maybe folks don't really notice, but I sure notice. And uh, there have been a few times where absolutely folks notice, and it was embarrassing. And of course, what, it, what, is that, what does that do? That compounds the problem. So the next time I stand up, um, 
you know, just, just the fact that that's in the back of my mind. I, I read this, I read what Dr. Berg wrote here. You know, this system does not distinguish between present input, you know, an actual emergency now, and past input, traumatic memories. So just my memory is enough to trigger this thing all over again, my memory of those past events. Although, again, what I want to talk to him about is, is it just my memory or is it my, you know, my anxiety along with it? Because I, I, I have to think that, uh, and I'm not, again, the notes that I took this from, I'm thinking that he's assuming that anxiety is kind of built into those past memories. Um, but anyway, kind of, kind of interesting. Um, and so I, as I kind of analyze and dissect this whole thing and think about it, you know, again, that's one of the questions I've always had. Is this, is this sin, Lord? Am I, am I, am I worrying? Uh, and as I think about PTSD, folks that struggle with these kind of things, are they always sinning or is it, because there have been times when I feel like I'm not sinning. There, there, there are certainly times when I, I know I'm worrying. You know, I get up there and I'm starting to talk and I, I know that I'm starting to worry, you know, about it happening again. But there's other times when I've stood up and I'm not worried about it. I'm not even thinking about it. Maybe I haven't had one of these panic attacks in a long time. And so I'm just, I'm talking and then all of a sudden, maybe I just trip over a word or forget, like I did a few minutes ago, forget what I'm about to say. And just in that moment, bang, my heart starts pounding again and I can hardly talk. Um, and so in those situations, I feel like, I, I don't feel like I was worrying, Lord. Um, what's going on here? And, uh, but anyway, kind of interesting. But all of that goes to illustrate, in, in my mind anyway, that this is, there are physiological components to these problems. Uh, you know, I wasn't imagining it. My heart was pounding uh, so hard that I couldn't even talk. You know, you, gotta, you know. Um, but uh, anyway, any thoughts? Uh, does that make sense? Again, for me, it's kind of interesting. I'm one of these guys. I'm a nerd. I like to think about these things and, uh, and then go to the scriptures and kind of trace the whole thing through and, and uh, kind of figure out what I'm doing and, and what I'm doing wrong. And again, the, the great part of it, when we get to uh, the last few weeks, we see what our Lord is trying, even through, even when we're guilty of sin, you know, even, even, in, even when our sin is involved, you know, God is faithful and he is working um, to accomplish many things in our lives, including to humble us and uh, keep us dependent on him. And that's one of the wonderful things that has resulted from this problem. One of the biggest problems of my life, I'll tell you, um, is what I just described for you, has caused me lots of stress. Why? Well, because I guess I have a pride issue to some degree or another. Yeah, it does. I've never had the, a panic attack in front of a, you know, a kindergarten class. You know? I was just wondering if it's something that you get used to. Because I read in, um, this is coming out of nowhere, Barry Manilow's biography that he vomited before every concert. Yeah. Well, he's been doing it for 50 years now, so I'm assuming yeah. he doesn't vomit now. But, yeah. you know, it, is it the 
situation itself. Yeah, you know, and those situations that are... Professional singers who get up there and I know from personal experience your heart is racing. Yeah, yeah the atmosphere matters. You know, if it's a less formal atmosphere, if there's lots of people talking in the background, if there's lots of commotion, you know, I'm, I'm less nervous. If it's very formal, if, if you can hear a pin drop in the room, you know, that's, uh, that's a different story. But uh, one thing I found is that if you try to uh, avoid, you know, the, just, okay, I'm never going to speak in public again, that's going to make it worse. So you got to, by God's grace, you got to face your fears and, uh, and uh, just ask the Lord to help you. But anyway, I've, I've spent too much time on that. Um, sorry, because now we gotta, we got to hurry. Any other thoughts, though? I don't want to. Yes, go ahead. For, uh, during my first tour in Iraq, uh, 2004 to 2005, yeah. there were literally uh, maybe 20 lanes blocked off for miles. And we had a ground guide our trucks through there, and it was scary because we didn't know who was friendly and who was, who was, uh, was an enemy. Mm -hmm. And I knew that I could run away and I could take cover and shoot back. But now, after... Um, after my brain, my brain bleed, and it's compounded because I can't run anymore. Mm. And yeah. I don't know what to do about that. Yeah. And of course, your case is a little, is, I was about to say a little different, is a lot different because and I don't think you mind me sharing this because you've just kind of alluded to, your, to it yourself, you know, you actually suffered a TBI, a traumatic brain injury. During my second tour in Iraq in yeah. 2011, I so, an IED. Yeah, so you actually had physical trauma to your brain, which is a different story. So we kind of move from the realm of PTSD and, and you know, kind of just you know, in our hearts, in our, the way we interpret things and, and our worries, our anxieties, our fears, to now you've actually suffered a physical injury which can complicate things. And that's kind of a whole nother story. Um, but the same resources are available to you. Uh, by God's grace, you know, you and others who have suffered physical injuries, uh, impairments to the brain, um, we can still, by God's grace, do whatever He calls us to do in life. Even though the body sometimes makes it harder. Uh, sometimes complications, injuries to the body can make it harder for the heart, you know, the mind, the spirit, to obey God, to please God. Yet by God's grace, He never puts us in a situation where our body makes it impossible for us to respond in a way that pleases him. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah. And you're special too, brother, because you could have died, you know. So yeah. God has a reason for yeah. Amen. Well let's oh go ahead, Chris. So the other thing is I don't think it can be overstated on, on point number one about the addiction that being in that situation as far as the flight or flight response. Some people, I mean, 
maybe it sounds crazy, but they actually want to be in that situation where they're in that situation because if they're not, maybe they don't feel that rush and so they look for ways to put themselves back into a situation yeah. where they're in a flight or flight response. Yeah. A lot of the special forces guys deal with that a lot because they want to be out there to be put in that situation rather than sitting back at a desk, so to speak, yeah. not being in there. So they get, I don't say addicted, like it says in point number one, to that fight or flight response, and it becomes a spiral where now their you know, blood pressure, their health is, it is, yeah. it is uh, and even mentally, right? So, yeah, and I, th I think you're absolutely right, and I think, and I, it, I don't know, maybe this sounds harsh, but if I had to guess, you know, a lot of that, a lot of what's driving them, it's not, it's not pleasing to the Lord. In most cases, you know, they're probably not believers. Not saying that a Christian can't struggle with that kind of thing, but you know, these are folks who are uh, otherwise empty. I mean, they're empty spiritually. They don't know the Lord, and so you know, they are looking for something to satisfy them, uh, even to distract them from their the miseries of life. You know, just the, uh, when you don't know God, you don't have his joy and peace in your heart. And so they don't want to be reminded of that emptiness, uh, as, along with the, the problems at home with their wife and, and everything else. And so they'll do whatever they can to distract themselves, whether it's drink alcohol, use drugs, um, do that kind of, you know, volunteer for more deployments, um, you know, all that kind of stuff. And jump off, you know, buildings with the bungee cord, you know, whatever. People are, people are, you hear about these NFL players that uh, once their career ends, they, they're miserable, they're depressed. Some of them even committed suicide, you know, and others who, uh, you know, same thing, whether it's movie stars, athletes, you know, once, once the, the rush is over, once they get too old to compete or whatever it is, you know, life is over. You know, there's nothing more to live for. And they really sink into depression. So praise God. Um, we, and it, we need, and this is what we're going to come back to next week for sure, the solution. We need to find our joy, our hope in the Lord. Um, so anyway, thank you, Chris. Great point. We better, uh, we better press here. we got about 10 minutes. We're going to try our best. We, if we have to wrap up depression next week, that'll fit with what we're talking about next week. But uh, anyway, sometimes, look at B. Sometimes the heart tasks the brain with fixing problems that only God can resolve. And uh, in such situations, as the brain works incessantly to accomplish what's impossible from a human standpoint, again, the brain's just carrying out, it's just following orders. You know, the heart, you know, the mind, our spirit, we're telling our body, our brain, to, you know, we need to do this. I need to fix this problem between my, you know, my wife, uh, you know, and, and you know, the, whatever the problem is at home with my children, you know, I need to fix that problem. And to a certain extent, I can't fix it. Only God can fix some of these things. And, uh, and there, I'm not saying there's a problem with my wife. That just came into my mind. Um, there's not a problem. So don't tell her, I, I would just, that just came. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, 
Anyway, there's certain tasks we give our, our brain to accomplish, and we can't do it. Only God can solve these things. But our brain is, uh, you know, gets going, trying to follow orders, and we can push our, our brains, our bodies, uh, to the point of overload, which results in frustration, obsessive thinking, and depression. And this is kind of another, I see this as kind of another strain of PTSD, uh, although it can certainly overlap with that first one we talked about. Here's a third. Here's maybe a third strain that we're going to be talking about when we talk, to, talk about depression. Although I would say that any, any case of PTSD, which, again, by now you understand, I define this very, very broadly. Uh, I believe we've all suffered, and, and, or I shouldn't say, we've all experienced these kind of post-traumatic stress-like symptoms in our lives. Um, it's not some mysterious phenomenon that only a few people have, have experienced. We've all had some experience th with this to, to one degree or another. But here, no matter, what the, well, no matter what the source or type of, you know, what's going on in your life with post-traumatic stress, if it's, a, if it's a severe case, if you're really, really struggling, um, you may end up depressed. And so let's talk about depression. Number two, by God's design, the body sounds an alarm when the heart is guilty of sin and or when the heart responds in unbelief to stressful circumstances. This alarm comes in the form of depressed feelings. And when we're talking about depression here, we're not talking about a bad day, a bad week, a bad month, you know, a few things didn't go your way. I'm talking about real depression that you can feel in your body. And you can feel it because, again, there, there is biology at play here. You're the chemicals in your body, and, and sci scientists, doctors, they, don't under they still don't understand exactly what's going on. Um, th there's different theories out there, but m maybe, you know, our bodies are suffering from a lack of serotonin, a lack of dopamine. Uh, some of these chemicals, hormone that God has put into our bodies, it's a blessing, you know, to be able to feel good, you know, when you accomplish something or when you you know, spend time with your family. Uh, not only, you know, we, we think this is good, and in response, our body, uh, the dopamine, whatever, you know, says, yes, now feel it. And, and we feel it. And isn't that a blessing from God that we can actually feel good? Well, you know what? When, you're, when your heart, when your mind concludes that uh, your situation is hopeless, your problem is not fixable, um, you're going to feel that in your body. And, uh, and you're going to feel depressed. But I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself, and I, I kind of, again, lost. I was starting to say something, and I ended up going on a different rabbit trail, and I probably didn't start what I, finish what I started. But anyway, we'll, we'll get back to it here. Forgive me. Uh, I'm trying to go too fast. we got four minutes left. Um, so we got this alarm system. When the heart comes under conviction of sin, feelings of guilt and depression can result. And I'm sorry, we don't have, I was planning on looking up these Bible verses, but you have them listed there. Check these out sometime, maybe tonight or this week. And uh, causes of depression, two main causes, I, I believe. One is guilt over sin. And when you read Psalm 31 and Psalm 32 and Psalm 51, you're going to hear how David talks about 
how his sin, how he felt it in his body because of the guilt of his sin. And so that is certainly a cause of depression. You know, the Bible supports this. You look up, and there's other, other passages that we could uh, look up. But uh, those are a few notable ones. A second cause of depression, if you flip the page uh, onto page 3, we're at little b there. When the, and I, I alluded to this a minute ago. When the heart concludes, again, when I'm, when I'm just talking about heart here, I'm talking about the mind, you know, our spirit. When we conclude in discontentment, in anger, anxiety, that life's problems are hopelessly insurmountable, bodily depression results. And uh, you can look at some of those verses there, take some time, check those out. We can talk more about them next week. But uh, this chart over here, not really a chart, but a little arrow thing. I hope everybody can see it. I've, I've adapted this from Dr. Jim Berg. Anybody see, everybody watch Quieting a Noisy Soul? Oh, yeah. Dr. Berg, um, it's like 24 lessons on video. And uh, I adapted this from one of the charts that he has. Okay, it starts with unbelief. You know, God is not doing enough for me. You know, I need something more than, than God alone. I don't have what I need. So that unbelief, that lie, okay, obviously leads to dis discontentment, the lust for more. You know, if only I, if only I had this then I'd be satisfied. If only I could have this problem with my children or at work resolved, then I could rest, then I could have peace. Okay, that discontentment, okay, leads to anxiety, you know, feelings of uncertainty about the future. What if I don't get what I need? Okay, up here you're saying it's the lust for, if only I had, well, what if I don't get it? You know, or I'm angry because I don't have it. And usually the it all goes hand in hand. Usually we're, we're, we're worried and we're angry. You know, we're worried about our circumstances, our, our health condition or whatever it is, the family situation. We're worried about it and we're kind of angry about it. We're frustrated and uh, easily can lead to depression, the emotion of hopelessness. And very interesting, if you look up Proverbs 13, 12, especially, and then... and, and Man, I'm, I'm sorry we don't have time because I think it's real interesting then to look at Proverbs 11, 17. 13, 12 here, let's see. Hope, listen to this. I'll, I'll read it so you don't have to look it up, although you sure can if you want. But uh, Proverbs 13, 12, hope deferred maketh the heart sick. Hope deferred maketh the heart sick. So when... You have an expectation. You have a hope that something will happen. But it doesn't. It's deferred. It makes the heart sick. That's, that's talking about depression. And I'll tell you what, I've experienced this. You know, if you'd asked me 15 years ago, I would have I said, no, I don't have any experience with that. Sorry, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. That verse doesn't make sense. Uh, I, I, I understand. I understand this verse. And... Uh, it's really interesting if you look at Proverbs eleven seventeen, just to check that verse out. Those who are in hell, did I write that one down? It talks about the wicked, and it's referring to their damnation in hell, and how for them, any hope 
any expectation that they have perishes. There is no hope for them. And I'll tell you, in my mind, again, I, I'm just, this isn't what, this is just me. This is just what goes into my mind. You know, the Bible talks about the flames of hell, but in my mind, the depression, um, the, just the absolute and utter depression that, those, that they are going to feel because there is no hope. I almost wonder if the flames are God's mercy in some sense just to distract them, you know, from the depression that's going to overwhelm them. Um, no hope. And when we, in, in our lives, even as Christians, when we get to the point where we are starting to feel hopeless, we can feel um, this depression. And uh, anyway, I think that this is uh, a big part of what happens with folks who are suffering from you know, whether it's PTSD-like symptoms, again, whatever the, whatever the particular strain is, when you start to go down that path where you give way to discontentment and worry and anger, and certainly we can see how that's easy, especially for an unbeliever. Uh, Christians are susceptible to this, but can you imagine for an unbeliever who doesn't have the Holy Spirit, doesn't have the, the hope of heaven, it's easy to see how they can quickly uh, fall into discontentment, anger, anxiety, and become depressed. And uh, praise God for the hope that we have in Jesus. We need to wrap up, but let me just say this very quickly. Take a look, and you take some time and read, you know, the little, little I and then little two there talking about, um, and we need to come back because that's important. You know, so we're... Anyway, I'm sorry, I need to address this. Does anybody mind if we go a minute or two late? No. Sorry. Uh, but just quickly, this is interesting. You know, secular psychiatrists, they believe that depression is caused by all these chemical imbalances. It's linked to this stuff. And they're correct to some degree, but here's, here's the difference between us and them. They fail to understand that the low levels of serotonin or dopamine that's not the cause of depressed thinking, but the result of depressed thinking. You know, the Bible teaches us that it's our thinking that makes the difference. And so when in our minds we despair, we become angry, worried, uh, discontent, hopeless, in our minds, then the body reacts and we feel the depression. But it's, it's our mind that's driving the thing. The secular folks think it's the opposite. They see it as just a problem that's, you know, something you were born with. And uh, you're just born with these chemical imbalances and you can't really help it uh, except maybe through a pill. Uh, and that's why you're depressed. But we understand from scripture that it's our thinking. It's our thinking that is driving the depression. But let me, let me, let me end here on D because uh, we need to understand this when we're talking about depression. Sometimes, uh, note D, there are times when depression is not caused by sin. For example, low or depressed feelings often occur due to natural chemical fluctuations in the female body, uh, certain periods during the month, um, when uh, around childbirth you have these fluctuations with the estrogen and progesterone levels, when a lady's getting ready, you know, pre-menopause, you have some of the same kind of stuff, and ladies who... Uh, they're not upset, they're not angry, they're not worried, 
and yet they still feel very low, and it's, it's, it's not their fault. Although, again, that then their body is putting them in a situation where they have to choose to respond you know, appropriately or not in a way that honors God. They can begin to worry about you know, what's going on with my body or, or, or what. But anyway, uh, and then two, recall that Paul had unceasing anguish in his heart as he considered the lost state of his Jewish brethren. Uh, he, he was, and I wonder if he wasn't a bit depressed um, just because he loved and cared for his brethren so much and he wanted to see them come to Christ. And so he may have felt this in his body. Uh, some, some low, it doesn't mean that he, he still had hope in God, of course, but uh, so the point I'm trying to make is that you know, it's not always sinful when we feel some of these low or depressed feelings. And of course, it's not sinful to grieve or feel sorrow. Um, let a little three down there. Of course, we must not sorrow as those who have no hope. Anyway, we better stop. So I'll let you read the conclusion, and uh, we can, we can uh, we'll talk a little bit more next week when we're talking about the solution to PTSD. We'll talk more about the solution to depression and, and some of this kind of stuff. But anyway, sorry we went a little bit long there. Thank you for your attention. Let's quickly, we'll, we'll close in prayer. Father, thank you again for your word. Lord, we're thankful that the, for the hope that we have as Christians. Lord, the world, those who don't know Jesus as Savior, they have no hope. And uh, one day, your word says, any hope, any expectation that they do have will perish forever. And God, we just praise you now, Lord, that uh, the opposite is true of us. Because of your grace, we have nothing but hope. Uh, and not just a hope, not just the hope of heaven and the blessings of eternity, Lord, but even the promise of your comfort and peace and grace now, Lord, as we encounter difficult circumstances in our lives. Lord, thank you for the hope that we have because of Jesus in his name. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, please visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. We encourage you to share this message with others. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened and God's word has had an impact on your life as together we strive to show forth the path of life. Press on.